When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we are the worst girl gang ever. We're proudly sponsored by our friends at Mercy Mama. If you're looking for a special sentimental piece for yourself, then look no further. They're a personalised jewellery brand and everything they do is hand engraved, making the perfect keepsake for you or a loved one. What's so special about their pieces is that you can actually customise them with any metal colour, adding birthstones and gemstones and finish off with an engraving of meaningful names, dates or messages. I absolutely love my bracelet from Mercy Mama. It's got my children's initials on and we know from experience how special this keepsake jewellery is, don't we? Yeah, we do. I've got a rose gold necklace with initials on the front and a little little message that's on the back that no one else can see, but I know it's there. It's quite special. It's so special. And the the great thing is that they've offered us a 15% discount for all our listeners using Girl Gang 15 when you shop online. And the website is www.mercymamonboutique.com. If you can't spell that, don't worry. We'll stick it in the podcast description. Sit back, relax and enjoy this week's episode. This meeting is being recorded. Ooh, it never used to tell you, did it? Maybe, do you think they had too many secret recordings going on via Zoom that they now have to make it obvious? Maybe, now they warn you. They do, they really do. Like, that's a that's a warning. This meeting is being recorded. <laughs> is my sound rubbish? Yeah, you're really quiet. Do you want to do the intro then? Yeah, sure. Hi everyone, she always does this. She goes, oh, do, <laughs> do, the, do the intro, and then just up, like interrupts me or starts talking or, oh, okay, she's getting a very professional soundproofing station. <laughs> right. Hi everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the worst girl gang ever. We are joined today from down under, mate. <laughs> You can't can't expect that these impressions are going to come for the whole time. I'm really sorry. I love the Australian accent. Where are you from? <laughs> from Darwin, so the very Darwin. top end of Australia. Oh my yes, goodness! You've heard of me? Have you heard of us? <laughs> yeah, I've been to you. I've been there. Oh, have really? I? Have I been there? I feel like. I mean, that was yeah. <laughs> my traveling days are a little bit of a haze. Um, <laughs> anyway, we are joined by Ash in Australia in Darwin. Um, we're also joined by Laura Buckingham, but unfortunately, something's happened to the sound on her. Um, something's happened to the sound on her laptop, so she is. <laughs> Laura's under her coat. I'm it. It's great. <laughs> Laura's under her coat because um, 
her sound isn't working properly so I should just take a photo now so Ash um sorry about this uh please let's um let's start at the beginning and tell us about how you landed in this shit amazing gang yeah um well uh I suppose back at the very beginning I have a four-year-old um who was conceived naturally, was a healthy pregnancy, a normal pregnancy, um, you know, thought we were among the fertile bunch. Um, and then it's just since trying to conceive number two that we've, uh, I guess, encountered uh, many a problem. Um, so we started trying to conceive in um, October of 2019 when my daughter turned two. Um that was, you know, two and a bit years ago. In that time span, we've had five miscarriages, two unsuccessful rounds of IVF, um, and two of our miscarriages were partial molar pregnancies. So oh we are now God. unable to try to conceive naturally just given the high risk of a third molar. Um, so we've turned to IVF, which has also proved not um, a quick fix, which we were kind of, I suppose, initially led to believe it would be. Um, but we've had two rounds now without a single embryo to implant. Um, so we're now, I guess, in discussions on whether we do keep going or we just, you know, count our blessings that we do have our miraculous daughter and just, you know, thank the stars for her and I suppose try to heal through this and live our life as best we can after all this. Wow. I mean, that is a hell of a journey. And I guess secondary infertility, have you found that it's incredibly misunderstood? Yes. Um, You know, even I suppose some of the pressure I put on myself, or I guess some of the judgment I put on myself of, you know, you've you've got enough. You, you know, you're extremely lucky, you know, especially in the infertility community that, um, you know, you can feel like, I guess, your grief is not... um, as accepted or not as important, I suppose. It's not as valid, um, which is obviously not the case, Um, which, you know, if a friend came and told me their story and they said, oh, you know, I feel like my grief's not valid, I'd say, well, that's ridiculous. Of course it is. But, you know, we're our own worst critic and we're hardest on ourselves. Um, So, yeah, it does sometimes feel like, you know, you don't have a space in the fertile community and you don't have a space in the infertile community. Um, And obviously we do fall pregnant quite easily um we've fallen pregnant you know every three to four months that we're trying to conceive um but we've lost all of those pregnancies so you know are we technically infertile I don't know but yeah Yeah. gosh that must be so difficult and as you say like that I think with secondary infertility you've got this added trauma of people saying when are you going to have another one because Second, I didn't know anything about secondary infertility before I came to this community. And I assumed that if you could have a child, you could have a child. I didn't know secondary infertility was a thing. So not only do you have the complete horror of of your losses and the trauma and the pain of what you're going through, the absolute heartbreak, but you've also got people kind of compounding that every day by asking you when you're going to have another one. Because as a society, we have no idea that infertility can happen after you've already had a baby. And that must be an incredibly yeah. difficult thing to challenge every uh, to challenge to accept every day. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, it even you know comes from my daughter, who's she's four now. Yeah, um, she's got friends who have had two babies in the time that we've been trying to have our second. Um, and, you know, she says to me, you know, mom, why why do they get their brother and sister to come home with them, and our babies didn't get to come home? Um, oh. 
And, you know, trying to explain that to a four-year-old um, is devastating. And, yeah. yeah, you know, you do think, you know, you've done it once and it was easy the first time. So, you know, it should it should just happen like that again. Um, and especially going through IVF, you know, we, we did think that the first round would work. We thought the second round would work. Yeah. Um, now, yeah, we're at that crossroads of our doctors saying, you know, She's like, I can't do anything more for you. She's like, we can try again and there is hope, but I can't tell you that it's going to work. She's like, it just comes down to how much more you can do, um, how much more you can spend, how much more heartache you can take and whether, you know, it's it's worth it, I suppose, in the end. Um, mm. And those are, you know, those are hard decisions and hard conversations. They are and um, made doubly hard by the fact that, that a certain amount of you, because I know we talk a lot about obsessions and obsessive behaviour. And actually, when you've decided um, as a couple that you want to have another baby, you sort of enter a new zone in your life, don't you, of trying for a baby. And it's a really, really, it's a big old mindfuck because you're suddenly conscious of everything, your fertility, your, you know, when you're, when you're banging, um, all of those things. And yeah. everything has to be well timed because else it's it's kind of it's viewed sometimes as a as a waste if you're doing it at the wrong time or whatever you know whatever your issues yeah. are with that sort of thing, it's when you enter that another mindset, it must be incredibly difficult to have a child already because you you cannot help but be less present in your day to day life mm-hmm. when you are obsessing over things. So have you found that yeah. for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some days it feels like, you know, grief and infertility is the cornerstone of my personality. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, is this all, is this all I am now? Um, yeah. And, you know, trying to be the best mum that I can be, um, whilst also, I suppose, holding space for myself and recognising that I need myself too sometimes. Um, yeah. And that I need to sometimes put myself first. And, you know, it's not a matter of being selfish but you know self-care and um recognizing that I need those times as well to be able to be fully present and to be able to be the best mum I can be um and yeah it's hard you know when you feel like you're letting a child down because you're trying so much for another child you feel like you know you mm. know you're not being grateful enough or you're not being yeah um, gosh enough. is that so hard isn't it because we just beat ourselves up about you are not enough everything everything mm. I think as women historically as well we have taken it upon ourselves that we will never be enough for various things. And and, and yeah. one of those things is if you are struggling with a loss with living children, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, or you've you've been perhaps made to feel, or perhaps someone has made a comment starting with at least, you know, at least you've already got kids or concentrate <laughs> you have yeah. all that stuff. You're yeah. made to feel that guilty because it's sort of like you feel like, oh, my kid's not enough for me. or And absolutely, yeah. you love, you adore your children with all of your heart. And it's not about the children that you have. It's about the babies that, that you've lost. And I think that's, it's a really difficult concept for people who don't have living children because obviously their situation is extremely different. But it's also yeah. a really difficult thing to deal with if you do have living children mm-hmm. because you don't, it is so painful and so heartbreaking because that's your experience and you've lived through an experience where you've lost a baby and it doesn't actually matter what else you have going on in your life. That is, that is your experience. And I think that's quite misunderstood. Laura, should we, yeah. Laura ch- chip in here? <laughs> everyone turn your, turn your volume up, everyone. Oh my God. I think you're, you're getting quieter. 
Okay. Put your, little, put your little hand up if you've got anything, okay? And we'll we'll and everyone will go silent for you. <laughs> so you mentioned that you have to hold space for yourself and you and I think that's incredibly amazing that you can do that. You sound very like you're very self-aware, but what does that look like for you? Yeah, um I suppose a lot of it is um letting myself feel um whatever it is that's coming up I spent a very long time running as fast as I could from my grief um Mm -hmm. thought that that was going to be the easiest way to just put some distance between me and it and then it would go quietly um and clearly that was not the case and it wasn't until you know we had our third loss and then our fourth and then our fifth and then I went okay this is not sustainable (laughs) and so now I'm able to go okay actually you know what, I need 15 minutes and I'm going to go and I'm going to go cry and I'm going to sit in these emotions and I'm going to feel them and I'm going to just take them for what they are. Um, and I think that was kind of the turning point for me in recognising that there was space to heal um, and it's not something, you know, that you ever get over but it is something that I'm moving through and able to heal through and the days aren't as heavy um, as they once were and the, the heavy days are fewer than they once were. Um, but, yeah, and I suppose a big part of that as well is um, my writing, being able to take some of what I'm feeling and take it out of my heart and out of my head and putting it onto a page and being able to look at it and go, okay, this is something that I can understand. This is something construct that um, I can send out into the world and, um, it makes it a little bit easier to process, I suppose. Mm. That's so, that's, I mean, that obviously we, Laura and I both both wrote about our experiences, but you write poetry specifically, don't you? Yes, I do. And what have you done with your poetry? Have you, where, where is it going? Can we read? Uh, so, uh, yes, of course. <laughs> um, so I've got, um, it's on my Instagram page, which is light after loss underscore. Um, and I released a poetry collection um, in September of last year on the due date of from our 12-week loss, um, what should have been our due date from our most recent 12-week loss. I released that poetry collection. Um, and it's, I guess, my journey of, you know, pregnancy loss, grief and healing told through um, poetry. Um, but, you know, it's also those messages of, you know, feel the feelings um, mm. and there is light to be found um, and there are brighter days ahead um so yeah and do you think that do you is that truly what you believe do you do you are you able to feel positive yeah I am um and I think it's um you know obviously some days are harder than others um and coming to the decision of whether we're going to continue trying um has been some really hard decisions between my partner and I and some hard discussions um but it was, you know, being able to, I suppose, live my life outside of that as well um, and saying, you know, okay, yes, this is part of my life and this is something that I'm struggling with, but if I take two steps this way, there is sunlight and there is um, there is joy to be found and that recognising that, you know, grief and joy can coexist and that it's not one or the other and I don't have to be just grieving you know, I can be grieving on days and have really heavy days and go, okay, yes, I'm having this really heavy day and, yes, I'm going to sit in this emotion, but what are some things I can do 
that are going to make these days lighter and that are going to, you know, help me heal through this. Mm. Where are you with that decision? Laura, why don't you come back in and I'll plug my unplug my headset and we'll just it will just be half of it will be not the best sound quality. Because else you're not going to be in it at all. Come back in. Come on. Here she is. Look. Oh hi! Oh hello. Hello. Where were we? Oh, I was going to ask a question. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Where are you at the point of making those decisions about whether you're going to keep trying? Is it something you're still talking about, or are you like taking a break from it all at the moment? Yeah, so it is something we're still um, discussing, working out. Um, it's been particularly difficult because my partner and I are at different spaces in our decision-making process. Um, I'm ready to just go again. Um, you know, sign me up, let's go again. Um, and he is more wanting to know what's going to be different this round, whether there is anything more they can be doing or are we just trying for trying sake, knowing that we've had to cycles without anything um to show um so I guess you know I'm leading a bit with my heart and he's leading very much with his head um which is helpful in some aspects that we've you know got those differing opinions that we don't have two people who are just running straight into it um but yeah you know it's it's causing some friction on occasion that you know we need to be able to discuss these things and obviously they are highly emotional things um to be discussing is there any oh you're making notes of it now aren't you she's back is there any part of you that thinks oh fuck it let's just try naturally again yeah I do um but then I think you know so we've had two partial molar pregnancies so our first was a, a one in twelve hundred chance our seconds a one in a hundred so we had one and they said you know there's a 99 percent chance you won't have another the, the, you know they're like those are those are great odds and I was like perfect our next pregnancy we had another 12 week loss that we learned well, after it, the DN. was it two, the two in a row you had or did you have any miscarriages in between we had one um, and then we had a five-week miscarriage and then we had a second okay um yeah, so we had them, you know, within it was within a twelve month time span, um, and then, you know, they said you've now got a one in four chance. Um, oh, wow! What of a of a yeah. you know? And and my mum was like, but that's a three in four chance that you won't. And I was like, yeah, I had a one in one thousand and nine, you know, one thousand one hundred ninety nine chance I wouldn't the first time. Mm. Um, and you know, it's just it's it's whether. You know, we made it to 12 weeks with both of those losses and we had heartbeats and we had, you know, babies that we thought we were bringing home um, and then we went to our third scan, our 12-week scan, and they said, you know, the heart stopped beating. Um, and I don't know if I can do that again. Um, and then there's obviously the additional complications that come with a molar pregnancy that, you know, I've got a 30% chance of um, getting cancerous tumours that, you know, could then result in chemotherapy and if we have to have chemotherapy it's then 12 months off from trying to conceive um and I've already got low egg supply so you know it's it's taking into account all of these 
details. Yeah. Can I just ask a, a question about your so a partial molar pregnancy for people that um are listening perhaps don't know. So you had you had a baby, there was a baby there. Mm-hmm. What talk us through what a partial molar pregnancy is? Yeah, so um so there's two kinds of molar. There's a complete molar and then there's a partial. So a complete molar, no baby forms, um, and the uterus is just filled with cysts. Um, in a partial molar, the baby has triploid syndrome. So it's a single egg that is fertilized by two sperm or a single egg being fertilized by a sperm that has two sets of chromosomes. Um, so we believe in our case that my partner could be carrying some sperm with two sets of chromosomes, um, but they can't test for that. Um, so we have, um, so yeah, we, we had um, our baby. So with our first partial molar, I had a really large bleed at seven weeks um, and we went to the hospital and they said, you know, you're, you're only five and a half weeks. They did an ultrasound. They said, you're only five and a half. I said, no, I know when I ovulated, I know when I got a pregnancy test, I can't be five and a half weeks. I would have got a pregnancy test at four days pregnant. Um, and they were like, okay, well, that's, that's what we can see. That's what we know. Come back in two weeks time and we'll do another scan. Um, so the bleeding slowed. We went back two weeks later and we had a baby that was measuring um, seven and a half weeks. So it had grown the it had grown a week and a half in two weeks. And they said, you know, it looks good for a seven-week pregnancy. They're like, that's that's what we can see, that's what we can say. Um, we said, okay. And they said, come back in three weeks and we'll do another ultrasound. We came back another three weeks later. Our baby had grown grown two weeks, but the heart had stopped beating. Um, so we did uh, we had DNC and results came back that we had a partial molar. So some of my placenta had cysts in it from um, the triploid. So the triploid syndrome is what the baby has. And then the partial molar is the abnormal um, placenta. So it grows faster than normal and it grows with a mass of cysts in it. Um, so at 10 weeks pregnant, I was already showing and we thought we were having twins because, you know, I was already showing quite, you know, largely for 10 weeks. Um, but they said, you know, because your um, placenta grows much faster than usual because you've got that extra set of chromosomes, you know, your baby's got a full another set. Um, so the placenta grows faster and your HCG rises faster. So you're more nauseous, you show faster, um, you know, you feel much more pregnant, much more early. Um and then we had another miscarriage between that and then we fell pregnant again. Um, we had no indication. We went for our seven-week scan and everything was looking perfect. We were measuring five days behind, but they said, you know, at this stage, it's so small, five days is a two-mil measurement difference. They said, you know, it could just be our equipment or it's, you know, you ovulated a couple of days later, you implanted a couple of days later. Um, we had a strong, steady heartbeat and, I clung to that um you know every you know my mind was going this isn't right you know five days is a lot but you know I clung to that belief we went back another two weeks later um heart was still beating everything was looking great and then we went back another week later and the heartbeat had stopped um I didn't have any bleeding I didn't have any indication um we had another DNC um they said they wanted me to have a DNC so they could check just in case it was another molar um but they pretty confident that it was just, you know, a regular um, miscarriage. And then this was in the height of COVID, so it took eight weeks for those results to come back in. Um, and then they said, you know, you've had a second partial molar. 
Um, and then times did they when they scanned you and found that the heartbeat had stopped they didn't recognize that there was a molar there at the time it's only with the results yeah I think um I I don't know it's something that they look for um because of the rarity of it it's you know not something that was picked up in our case um you know apart from our baby measuring a little bit behind um everything looked as it should um and it was only you know, after the DNC and upon inspection um, of my placenta that they realised um, and that, yeah. And so that first um, one that you had, when they told you, were you like, what the hell is that? Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, you know, I got a call on like a Thursday afternoon um, and they were like, you know, your results have come back in from the testing, you need to come back in on Monday, you've had a partial molar. And I was like, okay, cool and it was just like the receptionist had called me um and they didn't give me any information over the phone they just said you know come to your appointment oh god um, so, so then had... you went on google and saw yeah, cancer. Of course I went on google. <laughs> yeah i googled the shit out of that <laughs> and all i went with is cancer and hysterectomy and chemotherapy and i called my partner and i was like they've just called me and said that i could have cancer and he was like what do you mean i was like i don't know i was just trying to have a baby and this is what has happened um yeah and it's it's yeah it's terrifying when you know especially when I saw hysterectomy that I was like they're gonna they're gonna take my womb like they can't take my womb like that's my womb (laughs) um yeah and then you know we did it took 14 weeks from the date of our DNC for my HCG to reach negative um with our first and then 16 weeks with our second so that was weekly blood tests up at the hospital every Monday morning um, and then waiting for the call to see how my levels were dropping. Um, you know, towards the end, my HCG was 16, 15, 15, 11, 11, 9, um, and adjust. <laughs> and then it, it stalled out at one point at 9. It, it was 9 for a couple of weeks. And they said, you know, if we if we can't get this to drop, we're going to refer you on to oncology next week. Um, and, you know, I was like, it's, it's at 9. Like, it's so it's so close. What do you mean? Like, why isn't it dropping? Um, and it's just those persistent cells that they just latch on and they can regenerate um, and keep growing. This is just what is absolutely mad about all of, I mean, there's so, so much obviously with your story that it's horrendous, but, and we hear it echoed in so many women's stories is that um, we're not sure come back in two weeks. We're not sure come back yeah. in two weeks. We're not, oh, you have to come back in and have another blood test. I mean, the stress that this must have put you, your relationship with your partner, your partner, your mental health, your family Mm. dynamic, your parents, you know, the ripple effects of just never, ever getting a straight answer. And we hear this again and again and again, that people have to go back and go back and go back. And all that time, the in-between times, the in-between times for you, for so many different reasons you know with the the hcg levels and then the 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 baby itself must have been so difficult what did you do during those in-between times when you just didn't know you know what was going to happen um i was not in a good way (laughs) um you know i I was googling everything um you know they because there's this rule that um if your hcg drops by 10 percent in a week that's a good drop um so from so when your HCG is you know below double digits, it's they're happy with a 0.7 of a drop. And I'm like, that's 
it's not okay. <laughs> like, you know, if you're happy with a 0.7 of a drop, that's, you know, if I'm at nine, that's another nine weeks of this. Um, and you know, you're not allowed to get pregnant during that time. Um, and you're not allowed to try to conceive during that time because they can't tell then whether your HCG is rising from a new pregnancy or from the molar regenerating. Um, and they said, you know, your the molar tissue can regenerate after a normal pregnancy as well. So they said, you know, the next time you have a pregnancy that ends, you still need to come in for a blood test six weeks later so that we can make sure your HCG is dropped because the molar tissue can regenerate after a normal pregnancy, um, which is just wild. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in those in-between times, I spent a lot of time on Google. Um, I spent a lot of time on there's a molar support group on Facebook um, called After My Molar Pregnancy, which um, was amazing, was such a great resource, just being able to connect with other women who were in those weights as well um, and being able to, you know, we would send each other our numbers and go, you know, does this look okay? The doctors say it's okay, but what, <laughs> what do you think? Um, so, yeah, and, I, you know, I tried to, I tried to write during that time, but I suppose I was so exhausted and I was so grief-stricken and anxious that, you know, nothing of worth came out, um, which was probably, you know, nothing of worth was meant to come out at that point. I just needed to do something, you know, and some days that was just, you know, a piece of paper with dot points of all the emotions I'd felt that day. Um, and, you know, sometimes that was enough just to have something to do with my hands um, and something that wasn't Googling. Yeah, yeah. What are the rules in Australia? What When you reach zero, is there a certain length of time that you have to wait until you can start trying again? Um, ours is zero and then three consecutive weeks at zero and then you're cleared. Um, so that was – so then on our second, they made us um, wait three months um, okay. after that zero just because they were like, eh. <laughs> um, yeah. So – but then – um, yeah, we were cleared, and I believe with a complete. So those are the rules with a partial molar, um, and with a complete, I believe it's a little bit longer. I think it might be three months um, in a normal case. Mm. And with regards, to like you mentioned earlier, that they can't test for the um, sperm having the double, what do you call it? Um, and you 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 mentioned as well that you had a low egg count so what testing have you had and and when are you eligible for testing because in the UK you have to have three consecutive miscarriages before you can get any tests so what's it like in Australia yeah ours is generally three consecutive miscarriages um we so we had our three consecutive and we did like a I guess the routine recurrent miscarriage panel um, which was just testing on myself. Um, so they just tested, like, my hormone levels and stuff. And then when we started IVF, they tested my partner um, and did a same analysis. Was that him in the window? <laughs> it probably was. He disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully really it was him, quickly. not someone else. If he's I listening to this. <laughs> he'd be like, I was coming at home that day. Yeah. Who was that man with no top up. on in the garden? Did he had no top on. <laughs> Probably. Very hot here. What's his name? Connor. Hi, Connor. Hi, Connor. He's probably trying to get in on the action. Yeah, yeah, he would be. My story too. Yeah. Well, he's welcome. We're always looking for men to come. Yes. So he's welcome. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, sorry, you were saying, so you had your, and, and what did your sort of standard panel of, of testing, what did that, did it give you anything? No, um, all of my stuff came back normal except my egg count. So I'm 26, I turn 26 next week. Um, so I'm 25 um, and I've got the egg supply of a 45-year-old, which is fun. Um, and then, yeah, I know. <laughs> that's what I said. I was like, oh, you know, they called and they were like, it's not, it's not that bad. And I was like, that's pretty bad. And they're like, you know, you've got, you've got some, you've got enough to make it So work. is that the supply, is that just the numbers or the, is that the quality as well? That's the num. Well, that was the numbers when we started IVF, um, and they indicated they said you've got about a year and a half before IVF is no longer viable. Um, so we've been doing IVF now for nine months. Um, so tick tick tick. Um, that is horrible. Just, like to be told that as well. That must add so much pressure onto an already yeah. completely totally pressurized situation. Yeah. Yeah. Our first round, we got five eggs, um, and you know they were like, you know, that's not great for someone of your age um but they were like you know quality over quantity but we have neither quality nor quantity <laughs> um and so they yeah they called they they got five eggs um three of them fertilized and then none of them made it um to being able they made it to day five they made blasto um two of them didn't have an inner cell mass um so they were like they've got nothing in the inner cell to make a baby. So I suppose if it made it to pregnancy, it would be like a bladded ovum. Um, and then one of them didn't have an outer cell mass to form a placenta. Um, so they said, you know, yeah. So they were like, you know, with with that one, and because we're doing testing, um, so we're doing PGT testing to make sure, well, to try to make sure that it's not another molar. Um, so they're, none of them were well good enough to freeze. Um, our second round, they changed my protocol and I went on Pergavirus and we upped the ante. I was crying every night. I was an emotional mess. Um, but we got 18 eggs um, and we were like, yes, yeah. I was like, that's amazing. I was like, this is it. Um, you know, wonderful. Thank you. My doctor came in before surgery and she was like, you look fabulous for someone whose estrogen is through the roof. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't feel great. She was like, it's okay. Gonna get those eggs. I was like, cool, cool. Um, and then we got a call the next day um, and you know when the clinic calls you, it's not good. <laughs> you know, if it's good news, they just upload it onto your portal um, and they called and they were like, oh, you know, we call if it's less than a 50% fertility rate uh, or fertilisation rate, sorry. And I said, okay, cool. I was like, 50%, nine, I can do nine. And they were like, three. I was like, wonderful. Um, so we lost 15 eggs overnight they said that six of my eggs just disintegrated upon fertilization um they said you know they're really fragile um and then a few of them just didn't fertilize properly um so we had three and those three very similar they made it to day five and one didn't have an inner cell mass and two didn't have an outer cell mass um so they were like you know we they changed some of the protocol, they put it in a higher calorie solution to see if that would help them grow better. They did. Um, so we're doing ICSI. So they look through my partner's sperm and they pick the good looking ones because um, some of them we know don't look great. Um, but yeah, so far, not so good. Um, 
have you researched like looked into alternative therapies like acupuncture and that sort of stuff plugging yeah i had a you know, I love She's it. always <laughs> plugging acupuncture. I love it. <laughs> We've looked into it, and from what I read, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it was best for before a transfer. I think it's as opposed to before an actual well, cycle. Funnily enough, we I was just listening. Okay, I was just listening to it. Starts with the egg on the way here this morning, hmm. and it talks about acupuncture, and it says that. It's best for a few months leading up to okay. IVF. Um, one or two sessions around the time of having the IVF are not going to help. But if you have it regularly leading up to it, then it's more it's like trimester to help. trimester zero, isn't it? Mm. This sort of stuff. Yeah, three months leading up. Because I ha- I know my situation is much much different. But I've never had a, a cycle at all until I started having acupuncture, and they I really um really benefited from acupuncture it, started yeah, wow. it restarted my cycle I've got children I had acupuncture before before conceiving all, all the kids and I would definitely look into it if I, if I was you because yeah we, yeah that's lots of people and um lots of people even if it's just the sort of um do you remember Katie she said that she had her eggs were low quality but they her at uh, one of the IVF things that she had they said that there was a lot of improvement didn't they in her eggs following her having acupuncture yeah okay yeah no okay <laughs> listen to my episode with katie because i'm sure she said that the her even her the ivf clinic had said that there was a, a big it might not have been her improvement yeah. in, but i would definitely <laughs> definitely i'm gonna listen to it and i'm gonna let you know so do you uh, yes yes yeah, lots of people have said that acupuncture has really, really benefited them leading up to IVF. Yeah, okay. I might have to add that to my yeah regime. We have um, regime. And lots of clinics yeah. have it as part of the treatment plan, don't they? Yeah, ours does not. <laughs> no, we have one IVF clinic in Darwin. So oh, okay. you, just, you take the clinics you've got yeah. or you go elsewhere. Yeah, uh, and what would going elsewhere look like for you? Would that be like, but like when I went to Australia, someone someone took me out for dinner, and they were like, "Oh, it's just down the road." And it was a fucking two hour drive. That's not just down yeah. the road. It's not no. So we would have to jump on a plane um, if we were oh, going to. So, wow. so our IVF clinic is the only. I think it's the only IVF clinic in our territory, so in like the state. Um, so we would jump on a plane for three and a half hours, um, which obviously. You know, there's accommodation. We would have to take our daughter. We would, you know, it's a, it, it'd be a big endeavor. Um, so it's something we're hoping to avoid um, if we can. Um, but we've started. We met with a naturopath a month ago um, and have started on some higher quality supplements. Um, I'm on like 15 tablets a day now. My partner's on eight. Um, so we're going to do that for three months. Um, then if we decide to do another cycle, hope that that does improve our egg and sperm quality. Um, but, you know, we ran it past our doctor and said, these are the, the things we're taking now. And she said, that's wonderful. She's like, I don't think that's going to be a magic pill. It's not a quick fix. Um, she's like, it might, it might help, but I don't know if it's going to help enough. Gosh, that's pretty, I mean, that's, that must be quite bleak to be told that by a medical professional yeah I yeah it is. I do 
I do, I really like our doctor. Um, she's very straight down the line, which I think I need. Um, you know, the first time we saw her, she was like, you've got a 30% chance of having a baby. I was like, okay, cool. I was like, you know what? I appreciate that you're straight down the line. And, you know, we said to her our last appointment, I was like, I want you to tell me, do we keep going or, like, do we have a hope or are we just, you know, are we being, you know, silly, for lack of a better word, to just keep going? Are we going just because we can't let go? Um, you know, do we or is this actually something that does stand a chance and something that we should be pursuing or do we just need to go, okay, you know what, enough's enough? Um, and she said, I think you've got a chance, but it just depends how many more cycles it takes to get us there and how many more cycles you're willing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, you know, the next one might be a lucky one. She's like, or it might be five down the line and that's what you mm-hmm. have to make a decision. Do you think if she said to you, no, look, just give it up, do you think it would be easier to come to that decision? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Part of me went like, you know, and I, I hope she's being truthful. I hope that, you know, she would just tell me. But, I, you know, I think there's always that hope and there's always that chance. You know, you hear of women who do, you know, 11, 12 cycles and the 13th cycle, they get a single embryo that implants. Um, and I know that for us that's not feasible. I don't have the energy to do that many. I don't have the funds to do that many. I think if we do a third, um, this might be it. Um, so, yeah, you know, making those decisions and having, I guess, that preconceived notion of when do we stop? When is the end? Um, you know, my partner said, he's like, you said the last time that this was the last mm. one. I said, no, I wouldn't have said that. <laughs> I was like, nah, not me. And he's like, ah. Um, so, it's yeah. It's so hard. I remember thinking I just wanted someone to tell me to, to stop. Yeah. Like, it's just yeah. Not- it's not happening. Yeah. And I'd have gone, oh, yeah. okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. thank you for relieving me that pressure. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought yeah, there is so much. Sorry. We talked to women <laughs> um, who have said that they'd started using contraception again during their mm. kind of trying to consider, and it lifted like such a weight off them yeah. because they knew it wasn't on the table that month. So the, the obsessors, the compulsive, obsessive compulsive, is it compulsive as mm-hmm. well? The obsessive compulsive behavior stopped and they let themselves go a bit, you know, let themselves kind of breathe again. And I think the decision to stop trying is actually as brave and courageous as the decision to keep going because it's such yeah. a difficult thing to do when it goes against your natural instinct and your desire to have children. Because the desire to have children is it's the most powerful desire that I've ever experienced. Yeah. And to actively kind of make a decision against that is 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 so brutal. Yeah. So brutal. You poor thing. Yeah. I'm so sorry that you're going through this. It's just so fucking unfair. Yes. Do you ever yeah, think, I think come on, we've had our dose of bad luck now? Yeah, like enough's enough. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm I'm quite a perfectionist and an overachiever in my general life um and you know saying saying we're going to stop feels like giving up you know and it feels like feels like failure um and you know it's having to remind myself that you know making those decisions I I haven't failed this is not something that I have done um and it was out of my control 
Mm. We talk a bit about that as well, about how it doesn't, this is like the test that you can't study for. And lots of people yeah. who are like, as you've just said, that you are like natural sort of overachievers and really sort of conscientious. It's it's really difficult to get your head around the fact that actually it doesn't matter how hard you work. You can take all the yeah. all the supplements in the world. You oh, can go how much all- you pay as well. Yeah. Like you can throw yeah. all the money at it and it doesn't necessarily yeah. happen for you, does it? And that's no. really difficult. And that's, you know, that's when the ugly feelings start, isn't it? When you see people that have gotten pregnant by accident or people that are not in a position to become parents, suddenly becoming mm-hmm. parents or, you know, people that, are, that make sort of unhealthy life choices. And there's you chugging down bloody vitamins and drinking unicorn piss in the vain hope that, <laughs> that it might happen for you. And there's old Susan around the corner who got drunk, had a one night stand and, you know, Nearly a year later, popping out twins. It's not fair. Yeah. Yeah. That can I just say, no Susans were harmed in the recording of this podcast. (laughs) And also, we understand that every pregnancy is that has very different situations. I'm just illustrating how easy it is for some people and how unfair that may feel, although we recognize that every individual who becomes pregnant is that's their own story well ash thank you so much it's been lovely chatting to you yeah thank you yeah. And do, please please keep in touch and let us know how you're doing yeah. let yes, us know absolutely. how your story unfolds and obviously connor ever wants to come on yes 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 thank you so much for having me it's been so lovely chatting with you both yeah and um yeah definitely please do keep in touch we'd love to know how you're getting on and uh and lots of love yes thank you all right thank take you care. all right take care see you see thank you so much everyone for tuning in and please please when you have a second rate us review us and share us and let's get this taboo smashed see you next week Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.